you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, both messages today are going to be very church-oriented. They'll have some overlap to them as I try to sort of determine how to best move forward with our study on Ephesus. Remember, we're done with Ephesians, but we're actually following that church of Ephesus throughout Scripture. Um, we will move on with that later, but this morning we're going to have two messages in our series on church membership, and in this one we're going to look at Paul's illustration of the church being a body, a body of Christ. And then later we're going to look at healthy church relationships. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 we're going to read verses 12 through verse 27. For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now as God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. So here Paul talks about the church as a body of Christ and the members of the church as individual parts of that body. And so, so that the message is understood, we need to just briefly remind ourselves what the church is and what a church member is. A couple of weeks ago, we noted how the Lord Jesus determined to build a church, an assembly, which was described as a community of believers who come together. The very idea of a church being a body requires that the nature of the church is local and visible. There is no 
scriptural support for a universal invisible church, even though that's what most of professing Christianity is taught today, that all believers in Jesus are part of a big universal church, there's no biblical warrant for that. The very illustrations that the New Testament uses to describe a church demands that it's local. Think about this. Paul is describing the church as this interconnection of body parts working in unity. How well would your body work if it was disconnected group of, of body parts that was spread throughout the world, right? Can I, can I take your arm and, and ship it to New Zealand and, and uh, still describe it as part of your body? How well can you get along without it? And how well is it going to get along without you? The very nature of this description of the church tells us that Paul sees the church as something physical, as something tangible, not just spiritual. The word for church in the New Testament, we've said, is ecclesia. It means assembly. It was the word that was used in the common language at that time for the councils of of Greek city-states who who assembled together for the town's business. It was um, when when Paul came to Ephesus and that the silversmiths rioted and tried to get Paul killed, the town clerk stood up before the crowd and addressed them as an ecclesia, as an assembly, right? You've, You've assembled together. That's what this word means. By church, that word ecclesia can only be referring to members who come together and assemble. Now that being said, not all who assemble together are members of the body. We almost always have non-members who assemble with us. So let's, let's make that important distinction. A member of the Lord's church is a person who has done the following things in the following order. They've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They have submitted to baptism under the authority of the Lord's church. And they continue in attendance and participation in the church's work. So I would urge you, if you do believe Jesus died and rose again to pay the price of your sins, not everybody's sins in a generic sense, but you know that he died for you in particular, that you should gladly submit to baptism and join the Lord's assembly and participate in its activities. So, let's hope that gives just a, a general guideline for what it means when we speak about a church and members of a church. That is not to any way suggest that church members are identical, cookie-cutter uh, reproductions of each other. Quite the opposite is true in this text. So it's going to be the goal of the message this morning to show what Paul means by a church being a body of Christ and individuals being members in particular. First off, there must be unity for a body. Paul begins this picture of a church as a body in verse 12 by introducing us to the illustration and showing us up front the very most important part of the illustration is unity. Verse 12, For as the body is one and has many members, 
and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Now certainly you can see the point Paul is making. Even though you are one member along with many other members, the church itself is a body. The church is a single entity. It's a, it's a single organism. You do not get up in the morning and look at yourself and think of your body as a bunch of independent parts. It is your body, singular. Now, even if you wake up and, you know, your back aches and your neck hurts and your knee is creaky, you identify each of those individual parts because you feel that they are connected to you. Everything is connected. There is unity. And of course, not all of your body parts are exactly alike. We have some fun phrases that we use in English, right? You might say that you're all thumbs, or you might say that you have two left feet, but the reality is you don't. All the parts of your body are a little different, and all the parts of a church body are a little different. Paul is about to go on and describe in verse 13, whether we're Jew or Gentile, whether we're bond or free, right? There's not, there's not a identical Christian calling that makes us all cookie-cutter versions of one another. There is a great variety of body parts, but all of us are part of the single organism, which is the church. In fact... Not those differences, but what we have in common is what defines us. Every member of a church is to be a baptized believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. So he says in verse 13, For by one Spirit we're all baptized into one body, whether we are Jews or Gentiles, or whether we are bond or free, and we've all been made to drink into one Spirit. The common Christian experience of being born again, trusting Jesus and being indwelled by the Spirit is that overarching reality and similarity of our lives. This is how we define ourselves. And so even though we are different in appearance and background and culture and personality, we find unity in the membership of the church as a body. This is a precious truth because it prevents us from going into error in either of two directions. Some people might think that they are such an unimportant part of the church, or others might think that they are the most important part of the church. But Paul dismisses both of those notions by saying, look, all of you are parts of the whole. Right? Verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. You are one of many parts. There might be many parts, but it's still a single body, and the body is what's important, not the individual parts. Again, unity is what's being stressed. And so he explains in verses 15 and 16, hey, what, what if the foot decided it wasn't as important as the hand, so that it, so that it said, well, since I'm not as important as the hand, I'm not part of the body anymore would that make it true 
Or what if the ear decided, since it wasn't the eye, because the eye seems to be more important, so I'm not part of the body anymore. Would that make the ear not part of the body? Of course not. Every part is a part of the body and only a part of the body. And since unity is the overarching theme, there's no parts that are more important or less important. So listen, this unity teaches us these two important truths. There is absolutely no room for feelings of inferiority within the assembly because you are a part of the body. And at the same time, there is absolutely no room for feelings of superiority within the assembly because you are just a part of the body. He also goes on to explain that each member is a vital organ. In fact, Paul clearly shows that each member of the assembly is a vital part of the body. That is, that it's absolutely necessary for the body's ability to function and to accomplish its purpose. Each member is indispensable. While each member of the body is not the same, each is essential to the whole. You might think at this point, well, this this illustration of Paul, he's pressing it too far. This illustration is going to break down here because not all body parts really are essential, right? We take out the appendix all the time. And everybody goes on just fine without it. Well, for a long time, doctors and scientists didn't think the appendix served any particular purpose, but now they have discovered it is actually helpful for maintaining a healthy immune system. So it is important, and and if you don't believe that, just wait until yours bursts and you'll find out just how important it is when the rest of the body dies in the process. There is no useless appendix within the Lord's church. Each part is vital. Yes, there are members who are different, but that's what makes the body work. We, we err so often in modern Christianity because what we do with the gospel is that when we encounter someone who it's like, oh, I, I have a lot in common with that person. I really think that person would be a good fit for our assembly. I'm comfortable with that person because we have so much in common. And so we share the gospel with them because we see that they have this commonality with us. Folks, we need parts of our body that have less in common with us. What is the alternative? That we're we're all going to be the same? That we're all going to be identical? If we're all exactly the same, is that going to allow us to function? We think that similarity is going to bring stability and peace within our assembly, but it will not. What similarity does is it brings a certain amount of uselessness to the assembly. Think about this. What do you think is the most important part of your body? Your your hands, your eyes, your, your feet, your ears, whatever you think. Let's just say for the sake of argument... Your hands are what you think is the very most important thing. What would the body be like if you had hands at the end of your arms, but then you also had a hands where your eyes are supposed to be, and hands where your ears are supposed to be, and hands where your elbows are supposed to be, right? 
What if your body was really made up of nothing but hands? It would be monstrous, right? Can a body like that actually function? Listen to what Paul says in verse 17 through 19. If the whole body was an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now as God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it has pleased him, and if they were all one member, where were the body? Or in other words, where would the body be? The various parts of our human bodies contribute to the whole in unique and significant ways that other parts can't do. And don't miss that little phrase in verse 18, by the way. God has set those members in the body as it has pleased him. This is not about pleasing you or pleasing me. It's about pleasing God. God has made us all different and unique, and he gives each of us particular abilities gifts so that we operate in particular ways that are not like everyone else we're to carry out the function that god has made for us whether it is seeing or hearing or smelling or touching or whatever all of those things that need to be done within the body of christ the job given to each of us is to be sure that we ourselves are functioning according to the way God has designed us as he's added us to the church. Paul uses this same analogy when he writes to the church at Rome to exhort the church to fulfill their roles completely. Listen to Romans 12, verses 4 through 8. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given in us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait or serve in our ministering, or he that teaches on teaching, or he that exhorts on exhortation, or he that gives, let him do it with simplicity. He that rules with diligence. He that shows mercy with cheerfulness. Right? His goal here is that not everyone can or even wants to take, say, a leading role in the church, but we all have a purpose and place within the church. Each of us is important and essential because God has placed us here. And in order for the church to function properly, it must have the variety of parts that work together as a whole according to the way God has gifted them. In the verse right before our text, in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, Paul tells us the Spirit gives gifts to each member as he wills. Meaning you have a gift, you have a purpose, you have a a function within the body of Christ. And you have to determine what it is and to use it in service of the Lord within the church. Otherwise, you are denying the calling God has placed on you. And so what is it that you can do? It's different for all of us. Can you proclaim the Lord's word? If so, do it to the best of your ability. Can you minister and serve others? Then serve. Can you teach? Then teach. Can you give a word of encouragement? Then then do that. 
the church shouldn't be like the home on the range where there is seldom heard an encouraging word, right? I mean, there should be encouragement from, for one another. Can you rule? Can you do paperwork? Can you show mercy and love? Whatever it is that you're capable of doing, do it. And if you don't, then you are trying to make a useless appendix of yourself and the Lord has not designed his body to work that way. There is no one that serves no purpose. God has placed you in a strategic role. You are important to the success and effectiveness of the church. Listen, everyone else is is depending on you being here and carrying out your function. And when you fail to be here, or you fail to carry out your function in the body, the whole church suffers as a result. Don't get into the attitude of thinking you aren't necessary. You are necessary. If you have the mindset that you can come whenever you feel like it, and if you don't feel like coming, nobody's going to miss you. Well, we do miss you. Let me just say this. Poor church attendance should plague us as much as having an amputated arm from our body should plague us. That is exactly what's happened. Each member is not only vital to the work of the body as as a whole, but each part is also dependent on one another in order to function. Every part of the body of Christ relies on the proper functioning of every other part of the body of Christ. Without the cooperative and corporate participation in the various parts of our human bodies... Many, if not all, tasks would be completely impossible. Just as an example, take the simple act of speaking. All right, what, I'm, what I'm doing right now, if any parts of my body that are necessary to speech were to decide that they didn't want to participate in that act, it would be impossible for me to be speaking at this very moment. Don't go amening or praying to that end, all right? Speech is possible only when my brain and nerves and tongue and jaw and lips and larynx and lungs and diaphragm and heart and veins and arteries and capillaries and many other mysterious and utterly unknown parts to me all work together to accomplish that function. What appears on the surface to, set, to be, you know, a, a simple act of one body part, right? Well, he's speaking. He's using his mouth. Well, of course I am, but there's a lot else that's going into it, right? The same is true of a church. Each member of the body of Christ is dependent on the other members to function. Even if the most basic functioning of that body, it requires the coordinated effort of various members we really do need each other and so paul says in verse 21 the eye cannot say to the hand i have no need of you nor the head to the feet i have no need of you all the biblical pictures of the church are group pictures right the more mature we become in christ the more we realize that throughout our entire life we will continue to need one another. Now, 
We, we think that we don't need each other only when we get boastful about how great we are individually. You know what? <laughs> Growing up, I got complimented on a few different things, but I never in my life remember one single person complimenting my ears. People talk about eyes all the time, right? Skilled poets write lovely poems about the beautiful eyes of the object of their affection. I have never once heard someone write a a beautiful poem about the attractiveness of their true love's ears, right? And so if my ears could think, they would probably start to get an inferiority complex. But you know, I've never heard a lovely poem without my ears, I could never listen to the wonderful hymns of faith without them. I, my, my mouth could never learn to sing the praises of God unless my ears first revealed what it is that those praises should sound like. Paul uses the illustration of internal organs to show how important the members of a body are. And, and the importance of those body parts are not judged by their appearance. Paul even says, look, there's some things you can't, even, you can't even see. And so, to get to the heart of the matter, so to speak, look at verse 22. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think are less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our Comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. Paul is talking about internal organs here. Enough, he says, with with the outward, the ears and the hands and, and the feet. Let's talk about those unseen things. He says the uncomely or the unattractive or the unpresentable parts on the inside, the stuff that nobody gets to see, but it works in silence behind the scenes in order to accomplish the body's purposes. It's those hidden parts which do so much work. Listen, should I be, should I be proud of myself that I can stand up here and, and speak before the church in some visible way? No, I shouldn't. It makes me nothing more than the outward appearance. But certainly I am not more, uh, I am not independent. I am just as dependent on every other part of the body as you are. It's not the men who get up and get to stand in front of the assembly that get to say, well, look at me, I'm the heart of the church. I, I might be the church's mouth this morning. But certainly the heartbeat of the church that allows me to function is represented by those people who work in unseen and quiet ways in the day-to-day life of the church for the good of the body as a whole. Listen, I want you to understand this. We've talked about the fact that if you are a member, you are a vital part of the body. The church can't work right without you. But now also understand that as a member, you cannot function without your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know what? If, if 
some horrible accident happened and my, my hand got cut off. I don't think either myself or my hand would be very pleased with the experience. It would be discomforting for both of us. But I dare say, I'm going to live longer than my hand will. If you remove yourself in any way from the assembly, yes, the church as a whole is going to suffer. But folks, it is likely that you are going to suffer even more. You need that constant connection to the body of Christ in order to remain healthy and functional. A body part, after it is removed from the body, will not go on serving its purpose. In fact, it will not even go on feeling. It's no surprise then that when someone who is part of a body of Christ removes themselves, very soon they stop feeling removed. It's been said, and it's not original to me, it's been said when you start missing church, pretty soon you're not even going to be missing church. The attachment that you need to be spiritually healthy and functional is broken. And that is not something that is easily reattached. Removing yourself from the church, it is hurtful to the body, but it is utterly fatal to you. So I've seen in the text is the body is united, all the body parts are vital, that all the members are dependent on one another. And so what's the end result of that truth? Doesn't it follow that each member of the body is going to need to understand that they are interconnected and thus have a desire to take care of one another? so that they're functioning right, so that I can function right, so that as, an indi- as a single entity, we can all function right. This is what Paul says, starting at verse 25, that there should be no schism, that is no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether, whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. I usually like to illustrate Paul's point this way. I just imagine that tonight you wake up at 2 a.m., you're half asleep, you get out of bed and you head toward the restroom and somewhere along the way you encounter something on the floor. Okay, whether it is you bang your toe against the bedpost or any of you who are parents or grandparents have probably experienced a kid leaving a Lego in the hallway somewhere, When you step on that thing, what part of your body hurts? But what part of your body reacts? Very naturally, right? I don't care how sleepy you are when you step on a Lego in the middle of the night. Your brain tells you to lift that leg off of the ground so that it alleviates the pressure on your foot. And you hand, your hand and arm reach down to grab it while your other hand reaches out to steady yourself against the, the wall so that you don't fall down, right? All of the body goes into action. 
In fact, sometimes you start hopping up and down on the other leg, although I'm not sure why, because that's always when my other foot finds the Lego again. Listen, when you do something like that, it might cause pain to an individual part of the body, but your whole body reacts. And so now, let me ask you, as Paul's describing this in verses 25 and 26, the members should have the same care one for another. Are there individual body parts? Are there people within this assembly of the body of Christ who have been hurt and you have not gone into action? Why haven't you? Is it because you think they're not connected or is it because you think you're not connected? Listen, you are important. You are a vital part of the assembly. You are not too important to help. Do you look at this church and say, well, there is really something that the church ought to be doing and you are waiting for some other body part to do it as if you aren't part of the same body that you see needs to be doing that action. I think Paul's instruction would be to make up your mind right now that you are not going to act like the church's useless appendix. If someone is hungry, make them a meal. If they're hurting, help them. Give them a, a hug. If they're, if they're struggling, say something encouraging. Right? I don't know what it is that you need to do, whether it's write a letter or send a card or make a phone call or have a conversation. Pray with them. Tell them you love them. Point them to the truth of the gospel. Remind them of our, our hope in, the, in Jesus. You, plural, Paul says in verse 27, you all are the body of Christ and members in particular. You look around this room and understand that you are commanded by God to be united with these people and you are united with them through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a vital part of the body of Christ and they are a vital part of the body of Christ. We are all interdependent on one another. So make up your mind, determine right now that you are going to be an attached, active, functional member of the body of Christ because that is what each of us are called to be.